try. Okay, we're off to a good start so far. The story begins. We are continuing Morning Blessings, page seven. It's the middle of page seven. It's the next section of blessings. There's actually a debate in halacha and Jewish law. The blessing that we're about to read, which is number seven or eight, um, the second to last blessing on the page, whether that belongs to the previous to, to the following paragraph, it's part of the following paragraph, or is it an independent blessing? And as to whether you re should recite amen or not, the consensus is not to recite amen and consider it as part of the next blessing. But uh, there is a bit of a debate. Let's read the blessing inside. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who removes sleep from my eyes and slumber from my eyelids. Okay. I'm awake, right? Thank you for making me awake. Now, we already said God opens up the eyes of the blind. But on a very literal level, you know, we gave mystical meaning to that, but there's seeing and there's seeing. You could open your eyes, you can see, but you could still not be present, not be awake, right? Your eyes are still, eh. you know, you didn't have the coffee yet. You didn't have the Diet Coke yet. You're not really awake um, until God tells us we are. This has spiritual significance as well. We wake up in the morning and until we've actually prayed, until we've done our spiritual routine, our spiritual eyes are shut. There's slumber in them. Our eyes are still, we, we tend to see things by default when we wake up. That sentence was totally backwards. When we, <laughs> you know, they say they um, throw my, my mother out the window a towel. Right? Uh, <laughs> okay. They, <laughs> Josh, right? you crack me up. <laughs> <laughs> there tends we, we tend to see life from the paradigm of the animal soul by default unless we're going to train ourselves to see things differently but in english animal soul is not english when we wake up in the morning we tend to experience life inwardly Right? Life centers around us, around our drives, our own selfish drives, or self, I shouldn't say selfish, that's a strong word, but self-oriented drives, desires, needs. And to make that shift, to center our life around what we were created for, that's the godly soul perspective, that takes work, that takes prayer. And a lot of it has to do with us, but a lot of it has to do with God as well. And sometimes our soul is sleeping. We're awake, but the soul is sleeping. So we've recited these 15 blessings prior where God opens the eyes of the blind. We have deeper insight. We understand the difference between good and bad, day and night. We lease the bound. All of these different blessings that were meditations, essentially. And now we say, God, finally remove that sleep so we can experience and reap the benefits of these blessings of these meditations that we've just recited. Right? You with me? Okay. This leads us to the next paragraph. 
the next paragraph where it says, and may be your will. And we'll go through the paragraph. We'll go through the whole thing. We're going to learn probably half of it today, but we'll read the whole thing in English. We'll get some insight, some stories, and hopefully something to uh, chew over over the next little while. Okay, let's read it. Inside. We'll read the English real quickly so we know what we're talking about. We say to God, and may it be your will, Lord our God and God of our fathers, to accustom us to study your Torah and to make us cleave to your commandments. Do not bring us into sin, nor into transgression or iniquity, nor into temptation or scorn. And may the evil inclination not have mastery over us. Keep us far from an evil person and an evil companion. Make us cleave to the good inclination and to good deeds and compel our inclination to be subservient to you. Grant us this day and every day grace, kindness, and mercy in your eyes and in the eyes of all those who be, all who behold us and bestow bountiful kindness upon us. Blessed are you, Lord, who bestows bountiful kindness upon his people Israel. Okay, let's take it from the top. We say, and may it be your will, Lord our God, God of our fathers. And what's the first thing we ask for from God? To accustom us to study your Torah. In Hebrew, let us be accustomed to study your Torah. As soon as we've removed sleep from our eyes, as soon as we have a spiritual divine vitality, we now have the ability to accustom ourselves to study Torah. We can now dive in. We can now begin to serve God with our minds. Judaism is a holistic relationship with God. Prayer is the emotional component. Torah study is the intellectual component. Mitzvahs, the performance of mitzvahs, are the physical component. And now that we've opened our eyes, we can intellectually open our eyes, not just in literal sense, but remove that sleep, that slumber, that we're not just dragging our feet in this relationship, if you know what I mean. We're, we're awake. We're alive. Now we say, God, help us. Now that we're awake, help us channel that energy so we can accust and accustom us to study your Torah. It's something that takes becoming accustomed to. Because Torah study is difficult. Torah study is difficult on two levels. Number one, it, it's, it's academic. And you could find easier parts or more difficult parts. But the fact that it's so important, that itself is so difficult. The fact that it doesn't center around what we want. It centers around, I mean, it might. We might take interest in it, and we should. And we're asking God to accustom us to it. But by default, it centers around what God wants. It's God's will. You're, le you're learning divine will. The animal soul doesn't want that. What does your animal soul want? Pleasure. Pleasure, right? The animal soul wants pleasure. The animal soul wants to be comfortable. So we wake up in the morning, and we've done what we've needed to do, and we have a transition to work. And we have a 15-minute 
time, uh, a time slot of empty space, let's say a 10 minute time slot of empty space, or I'm driving in the car and I have a half hour of traffic where I have this free time. What am I going to do with that time? The animal soul says, do something pleasurable. The divine soul says, do something purposeful or meaningful. Now, if we can link the two, and if that which is meaningful and purposeful is pleasurable, you're in a very good place. You're in a very good place. And you will have that in certain areas. If you have that in every area of Judaism, you're a tzaddik, right? <laughs> You've converted the animal soul. If you have that in some areas of Judaism, you will, you can. But what we're saying is that it takes training. And we're asking God to help us, right? Go back to the text here, to accustom us to study your Torah. Make it something that we're accustomed to. Make it something that we feel at home with. All too often, Jewish people feel, in perhaps in 2022, by default, it's not from the soul's perspective, and it's not to, that's just the, the soul, the, the animal soul that we're born into. The Torah feels strange. The Torah feels archaic. We're asking God, let us become comfortable with this. We're praying to him. We want, this is a relationship, God. We don't want your values to be archaic. We don't want your values to be strange. We don't want your values to be, uh, we don't want to perceive as if your values were talking to people of thousands of years ago. But the Torah is talking to us and we're asking God, help us experience that. Because again, this is a relationship. Right? Makes sense? Okay. Just those three words, uh, uh, that, that one line. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to meditate in the morning. Okay. We move on to the next. We say, God, to make us cleave to your commandments. Right? That's the third line. In the Hebrew, it's, it's just two words. Let us cleave or cleave. Let us cleave or make us cleave to your commandments. The mitzvahs should be something not just that we do, but something that we connect with. It shouldn't just be a behavioral connection. It should be a meaningful connection. The word mitzvah itself may be one of the most mistranslated words. Right? We translate it often as good deed. But it's not necessarily true. Um, it doesn't always seem true. It's a commandment, right? The literal translation is commandment. Mitzvah has another meaning. Connection. Right? A mitzvah is a connection. So we're asking God that we connect with the mitzvahs, that we feel the connection. That we feel the relationship with the mitzvahs. The mitzvah is not just something we're doing. It's something we're experiencing. We call that kavana. It's not just a burden, right? There was a Hasidic Rebbe. He was the Hasidic leader of the of a Hasidic group called Bells. Have you heard of the Bells Hasidim? They have a huge shul in Jerusalem. It's like it's a big, it's a big place. There's a big group of Hasidim of Hasidic Jews called Bells. They were originally from the town of Bells, I guess, in Poland. So there was Rabbi Yisachar Dov of Bells. Rabbi Sachar Dov of Bells 
took his young child to go to the mikvah. Mikvah was cold, right? There was no heaters. And his son, I guess his son was becoming bar mitzvah. I don't know what the story was. He wasn't that young, but he goes into the mikvah and, he, and it's cold. It's a cold mikvah. He goes, ooh, ooh, ooh. He, he gets out of the mikvah. He's wrapped in a towel and he goes, ah. And his father says to him, that's the difference between a sin and a mitzvah. A mitzvah starts with, ooh, ooh, might be uncomfortable at first, but eventually it's a, re it's a relationship with God. It's, ah, it takes training. But a sin is the other way around. A sin is, ah, feels good at first. And then afterwards, the classic, ooh. <laughs> right? or, or another way of putting it is a mitzvah, you experience pleasure after a mitzvah, Right, not necessarily during the mitzvah. You might experience pleasure during the mitzvah too, if it's something that you've really integrated and worked on, which is a beautiful thing, and we should. But for a sin, it's the other way around. We experience pleasure during the sin, not afterwards. It's momentous. And for that, we say, God, let us cleave to your commandments. Again, the intellectual study of God and his values shouldn't be, should not be archaic. The behavior shouldn't be archaic. It should be something that we, it should be normal. It's just normal. It's a normal part of our lives. It's comfortable. I think I may have said this story before, but I'm going to share it again because I absolutely love it. There was a Holocaust survivor in Minnesota. He was in the, in the 70s or 80s. And he was very cold toward Judaism. And you, you can imagine why I say this without judgment at all. But, you know, given the obvious reasons and what he's experienced, he was very cold toward Judaism. He was very apprehensive toward being outwardly Jewish. And when, we're, and when others were outwardly Jewish, he was very uncomfortable. He was once flipping the channels watching TV, and he flips to the right channel. <laughs> Rabbi Menachem Edel Shneerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, is conducting a febrengen, is conducting a talk with thousands of chassidim in 770 Chabad World Headquarters in Yiddish, and it's being broadcasted live. The febrengens are broadcast live. And he's watching it, he's just mesmerized. He's, he understood Yiddish. He understood what was going on, and he just loved it. Rabbi Manus Friedman asked him, like, what, uh, what did you like about this? This isn't your speed. <laughs> You're usually more apprehensive toward outward Judaism, and you could have been watching Monday Night Football. What, 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 what spoke to you? So he said, for the first time in my life, I saw a Jew who was so unapologetically Jewish and so comfortable with it. I was almost uncomfortable not being outwardly Jewish. I don't know if he actually said that, but it was that idea that there was this seamlessness between body and soul. They weren't fighting each other. But the body was just there for the soul. The body realized its role. If our bodies know its role, if our animal soul, our drive know its role, 
will be very passionate about mitzvahs, will be very passionate about Torah study, and it will be seamless. It won't be weird. It's just normal. It's just what a relationship should be like. Let's go on to the next. We're on the third line, end of the third line of that paragraph, of the last paragraph on page seven. Do not bring us into sin, nor into transgression, nor into iniquity. In the Hebrew, there's three types of sins. There's sin, there's transgression, there's iniquity. Sin means it's something that I've done by accident. Transgression and iniquity are actual transgressions, <laughs> intentional transgressions. Uh, and, and we're asking God, don't let us get into the trap of either of those. Um, if, now, translate again, you, your translations are a little tricky. It's tricky to work with translations because if you, if you were to translate something literally and you're not studying or just reading, it doesn't really make sense. And if you don't translate literally, it's not going to be very appealing. And then even when you do translate, you find a good way to translate, you're, you're, you're limiting yourself. So let's translate this literally, though. I'm going to go to the Hebrew for a second. It's the third line on the Hebrew side. Or Sorry, the, the second to last, the second line, end of the line, where it says va'al in the Hebrew. Second line, va'al. Do you see it? Va'al tevi'enu, do not bring us. Lo, not. Lide to the hands, hate to the hands of sin, to the hands of transgression, to the hands of iniquity. Doesn't say don't bring us to sin. Don't even bring us to the hands of sin. It's not even the sin, it's just the handle of sin, the gateway to sin, if you will. We're asking God, we don't want to trans. This is a relationship, right? And if it's a relationship, we don't want to go against your will. We don't even want to do something that's going to put us in a position where we might go against your will. We don't want a gateway drug either, not just a drug. <laughs> we don't want the sin. We don't even want a gateway sin, the hands of sin. right? Or another way to look at it is if we do sin, we don't want to be in its hands. We don't want to be grasped by it. We don't want to be consumed by it. Let us move on. That's one of the most important things, by the way, that the, the Rebbe would stress all the time throughout his letters. If you've sinned, you know, a person has to do teshuvah, a person has to make amends, a person has to repent, but move on. You know, the Chassidim used to say that with the amount of time spent crying over, uh, over a sin, you could have been doing two mitzvahs. Um, let's take a look at the next line. In English, um, fourth line, last word. Nor into temptation or scorn. I don't know what scorn means, but uh, what does scorn mean? In Hebrew, it says bizayon, which means like a disgrace. Is that what a scorn is? Disgrace, yeah? Okay. Don't bring us into temptation. In Hebrew, it's nisayon, which means a test. God, don't test me. And let it not be a disgrace. So one way to look at it is 
if I'm tested, that might be disgraceful if I don't pass. But it's also two separate things. God, don't test me. We don't want to be tested. We don't even want to be into the hand. In, in, again, in the Hebrew, it's lidei nisayo, in the hands of tests. I have a question about that. Yeah. So what's interesting about that comment is that, you know, when we were going through Tanya, you know, we were, we were differentiating between a tzaddik and a benini, where a mitzvah that a benini performs has greater meaning than a mitzvah that a tzaddik performs because uh, there's there's this resistive force within the benini, the animal soul, right, that um, puts us to the test, so to speak, right, and by overcoming that, we achieve, you know, we, we achieve a more meaningful mitzvah than had a tzaddik done the corresponding mitzvah. It, at least that's how I'm remembering our Tanya discussion on that. So when we hear where we're saying don't lead us into temptation, it seems to take away from that ability to have the more meaningful mitzvah if we're not being tested. Right. Right. Ex excellent question. In other words, in Tanya and other places in Judaism, we put so much value, we ascribe so much value to being tested. Right. If, in fact, just, just to lend strength to your question, the Hebrew word for test, nisayon, also comes from the word, uh, can also mean uh, anes, which means to uplift. Tests uplift you. When you pass a test, you're on a, you're on a much greater level than were you not to have been tested. Yet we're asking God, don't test us. Our job is to avoid negativity. <laughs> Our job is to avoid a situation where we might fail. Not to put us in our, ourselves in a situation. Tests are going to happen, but we have to do what we can to avoid that. Um, in other words, a let, let me put it this way. L let me rephrase the, 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 the question, the discussion. If teshuva is so great, right? The power of, a teshuva, uh, of somebody who does teshuva is greater than a tzaddik. That's what the Talmud says. The person who does teshuva stands on a greater level than the tzaddik, than the righteous person, the person who destroyed their animal soul. So why not sin? Instead of fighting to be a tzaddik, <laughs> which is so difficult, why not just sin? And then I'll be able to do teshuva, and then I'll be greater than tzaddik, right? It's like a loophole. Well, but that that's where we kind of, you know, talked about, you know, you, you, teshuv doesn't really count if you intended to sin in the first place, right? And, unless, yeah, it's going to be a much more difficult teshuv at that point because now you have to do teshuv for that as well. So, and that's essentially what we're saying is we don't want to be tested because we don't want to sin. We value this relationship so much that we're telling God, forget my own greatness that I'm going to achieve through tests. I don't want to disappoint you. Now, God might decide. You know what, Mike? I believe in you, man. <laughs> I, uh, I shouldn't say Mike. I, I, I'm not suggesting, God forbid, you should be tested. God may say to somebody, I believe in you. And you're requesting not to be tested. And guess what? No, I believe in you. And I believe you need this. 
one of my rabbis used to always say, God can be honest with you or God can be kind to you. Which one do you want? Right? We want God to be kind to us. And sometimes God decides he's going to be honest with us. And truth hurts. <laughs> Knowing your true capabilities is not, it's not easy. But from our perspective, we're saying, God, don't, don't, uh, don't put us in that situation. I'll tell you a great story. I just read it today. There was a rabbi named, he was known as the Vilna Gaon. Gaon means a genius. He was the genius of Vilna. He lived around the same time period as Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi, the author of the Tanya. He was a little bit older. They had a relationship. Another story for another time. But he was a brilliant mind. They say that he only slept like, he never slept like three hours, more than three hours, something like that. He would study an incredible amount of Torah. He was an incredible Kabbalist as well. A brilliant mind, a brilliant thinker. And his works are still studied to this day. Works on uh, J Jewish philosophy and perspective, works on Jewish law. His name was Rabbi Eliyahu of Vilna. And Rabbi Eliyahu of Vilna was trying to work on himself, better himself. So he says to another great sage known as the Dubna Magid, the Magid, the preacher of Dubna from the town of Dubna, try to motivate me. You know, give me some musar, give me some uh, some motivation. So the Dubna Magid tells him, "You're a brilliant mind. You're in your study all day, or in your court, in your uh, yeshiva, whatever it is, studying Torah day and night." And you're this great saint. You're this great, pure, holy person. But what would Reb Eliyahu of Vilna be like if he left the four walls of the, of the yeshiva? If he had to be exposed to mainstream society, would he still be able to maintain his true self? He says, you're not challenging yourself. You're just, you know, what's to say that all of this is real? Maybe it's just situationally real because you're in a good situation. You're in a good place. That was his challenge to him. Rebellio, Vilna didn't take it. He says, no, doesn't work that way. My Judaism is not a show. I don't need to prove to you whether it's real or not. I'm serving God. And I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I might be compromised if that's not necessary. And that was his perspective. And that's exactly what we're saying here. If there's this, when we don't want to put ourselves in a situation where we might be compromised because we value this relationship, God might decide otherwise. And right, he, he might decide he'd rather be honest and kind. And should he? That means we have the ability to pass that test. But from our side of the relationship, we certainly don't want it. Make sense? Excellent question. Afterwards, we say, not uh, let us not go into the hands of scorn as well, of bizayon, of um, the word, it's the word we used before, of disgrace, right? Let us not disappoint God should we fail that test, God forbid. Let us not be disappointed, let us not be a disgrace, let us not disgrace God. There's a concept called Chilul Hashem. Are you familiar with the term Chilul Hashem? There's a mitzvah called Kiddush Hashem, which means to sanctify God. Which means if a Jew does something 
in the name of God. That's positive. That sanctifies God's name. That brings God into the world in a more positive light. And that's a mitzvah. And then the, the opposite of that would be a chilul Hashem, which means to profane God's name. Right? If a Jew, especially if he was publicly or visibly Jewish, were to do something inappropriate, you know, we're supposed to be lamplighters. And that would cause, that would profane God's name. That would be a chilul Hashem. Being Jewish is a big responsibility. Being lamplight, we're lamplighters, whether we like it or not, by the way. That's why we're sent to this world. We're lamplighters. We're here to eliminate the world. And it's an incredible responsibility. And that's the concept of Chilul Hashem, which means desecrating or profaning God's name. But there's another word that Chilul means. Chilul also comes from the word Halal, which means to carve out, to empty out. To empty out God. To when we make a place that is, when we have this perspective that there is a place, a void of God, God isn't relevant there. That itself profanes God's name. Because the Jewish, fundamental Jewish faith is that God is everywhere. There's no place where he is not. And that's why Jewish law is, pervades every area of our life. Right? This relationship is all-encompassing. When you're married, you're married 100% of the time. Even when you're away at work, you're still married, Right? So we have this relationship with God every single, wherever we are, not just at home, not just in the synagogue, not just when we're in Israel, not just even when in, we're in the bathroom, halacha dictates what's appropriate in the bathroom for a Jew and what's not appropriate for the bathroom in a Jew, as, as a Jew. Because the relationship is all encompassing. And that's why we say, let us not scorn, let us not profane, let us not disgrace God. Okay, let's take a look at the next one. Um, one, two, three, four, five, five lines. Yep. And may the evil inclination not have mastery over us. We'll read it in the Hebrew. Fourth line in the middle. Va'al yishlot banu yetzer hara. Don't let the evil inclination dominate over us. So think about it. Think about these blessings here or prayers. I've asked God to accustom me to study Torah. I'm comfortable with Torah. I'm comfortable with God's values. I'm familiar with God's values. I connect to the mitzvahs on a deep emotional level. I'm in a place where I'm not sinning, where I'm not even being tempted. I'm this saintly, holy person, right? <laughs> and then we say, God, don't let the yetzer hara, the evil inclination, prevail over me sometimes we spoke about this in tanya a little bit sometimes the yetzer hara comes out when we think we're at our highest point right so it could disappoint us <laughs> it's when we're feeling so good about our judaism you know he's been quiet for so long we think we've finally made it but that the yetzer hara says comes out and we're like, oh no, I was not expecting that. I thought I was infallible. This is a reminder that no matter how great we are, unless we become a tzaddik, but even then, we're not infallible. Even a tzaddik can be infallible. It can be, can be fallible. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. There we go. 
even a tzaddik can be vulnerable to negativity. We have to be on guard 100% of the time. That doesn't mean that we have to be anxious about, uh, about not, not sinning, but the, the, but the point is we're vulnerable. That takes humility to be vulnerable. The Talmud tells the story of the great sage Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was an incredibly accomplished person. He started learning the alphabet at age 40. And he went from that to 24 years later, having 24,000 students. And being a, a, a contributing author to the Mishnah, to the Talmud. And Rabbi Akiva saw one of his students doing something inappropriate. I don't remember what it was or if the Talmud mentioned. I don't remember. He was doing something inappropriate. Rabbi Akiva chastised him. You know, in Yiddish, we say, Sapasnisht. It's not, you know, Sapasnisht means it's not, uh, it's not becoming of you. You're better than that. But apparently, it was perceived as condescending. Like, come on, man. As if he had forgotten what it was like to have an evil inclination. So the Yetzer Hara, evil inclination, or the Satan, the Satan, which is the same character. The Talmud says it's really the same character, just different embodiments, said, okay, I got to teach this guy a lesson. And he embodied the image of a provocative woman and waited at the top of a palm tree and hollered down to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva said, the Talmud says Rabbi Akiva got so excited, he literally scaled the palm tree. When he got up to the palm tree, the quote-unquote provocative woman revealed her true identity, the embodiment of the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination of the Satan. Rabbi Akiva realized he'd just been tested. And he told Rabbi Kiva, if not for your great Torah, I would have allowed you to sin. But I didn't. You got to be patient with people. Everybody's vulnerable. Nobody's infallible. I'll tell you another story. There was a rabbi named Naftali of Rabshitz. He was a Hasidic rabbi in the town of Rabshitz. His name was Rab Naftali. And I guess his son was having trouble getting up in the morning on time. So Rabbi Naftali says to his son, you got to learn from the Yetzir Hara. Learn a lesson from the Yetzir Hara. Learn a lesson from the evil inclination. Show up on time. <laughs> the evil inclination is never late for its job. So he says, that's not a fair comparison. The evil inclination doesn't have an evil inclination trying to stop him. <laughs> I guess you can argue that it does. It has the good inclination trying. But um, there's another story that they say, or it's really an analogy. I don't know if it's not a true story, but this guy is walking down the street. And it, it, this is kind of just a perspective to help us gain dominance over the evil inclination. One of the things that the evil inclination, just some background here, one of the things that the evil inclination does is it, it blinds us. It jades us. The animal soul jades us, right? We mentioned earlier, the animal soul's drive is pleasure. 
So we're jaded. Because we don't get to see things um, for their objective value anymore. And that's what Klippa is. Klippa is this outer shell. We see things as they uh, appear to us, not as what they truly are. But that's in this week's Torah portion, the miracle of the splitting of the sea. The sea split only once they jumped in. And they would appreciate that there is depth beyond the surface. But until that point, we only see things at the surface. We don't see the true value of things or the true lack of value. I don't know what the word is of, of certain things. So the analogy is this guy is walking and it's Shabbos and he finds money. Big thing of money. And he's figuring out, what do I do? <laughs> I can't take the money because it's Shabbos. But to let all that money go, and he's trying to find loopholes. Is it life? Is this a life-threatening situation? <laughs> mm, probably survive without it. Is it? Uh, I don't know. Should I wait here until after Shabbos? What do I do? A friend walks by and he looks down at the money. He goes, "Who put that counterfeit money there? It's like Monopoly money." It was to the friend. It was more obvious, right? And all of a sudden, the friend feels like an idiot, right? He was willing to wait the, the whole Shabbos next to a sack of counterfeit money. That's what the Yetzirah does. There's certain things in life that are just not valuable. In, 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 they're pleasurable, but they're not valuable. Inherently valuable. Because they're not eternal. And the Yetzirah is going to blind us. And say, this is what matters in life. This is what's important. And, and we're asking God here, let it not dominate over us. Give us the strength. The Talmud says that the Yetzirah is always going to try to get at us. And if not with, for God's help, we wouldn't be able to prevail. And we're asking God, you need, prevail. In Tanya, it says that the assistance that God gives us, that's the soul, the light of the soul. I'll tell you one more story. There's a rabbi named the Chafet, by the Chafetz Chaim. Sharon. This is your man. Yeah, he's my man. <laughs> <laughs> the Chafetz Chaim was an incredible, uh, incredible person. He wrote, his name was Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan. Lived in the town of Radin, I believe. Lived in the town of, I think, in, I think in Poland. Not that long ago, by the way. A little more than 100 years ago maybe 110 years ago, I, I recently saw a news clipping of, it, it was like the New York Times maybe, or one of these, um, it was an obituary. A Jewish leader, Jewish, it said like Jewish saint in Europe passes away. And he was well known. Um, he wrote tons of books. Uh, one of his main passions was trying to circumvent evil talk. He couldn't stand with when people gossiped. He hated it. And he wrote several books on the laws of gossip, the parameters of gossip, when gossip is permitted, when it isn't, how it's permitted and how it isn't. And it's, it's fascinating. You know, can you do a criminal background check? All these different things. Um, he was very passionate about it because he wanted, he, he writes in his introduction to the book, actually, that when the, the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed because of hatred, Right, the second temple. That was a famous story of Kamsa, Bar Kamsa. So he says, in order to rebuild the Beit HaMikdash, we need peace. 
And if people are talking bad about each other, there ain't going to be peace. So he wrote that book in order for to, to, to help usher in the Mashiach. He came to shul early once, to the earliest service. It was like at dawn or a little bit after. And he was already old at this point. And he told somebody, I was trying to figure out, should I come? Should I not come? Should I sleep in? I wake up in the morning. This is what he says. My Yetzer Hara, my evil inclination says, go back to bed, man. <laughs> it's early. You don't need to be up this early. You need to sleep in. You're an old man. You've earned it. <laughs> all these years of work, all these years of study, you've earned your sleep. Go back to bed. And he says, what did I respond to the Yetzirah? Well, you're older than me. How long have you been around for? And you're here at your job on time trying to disturb me. If you're not listening to your own advice, it's probably not that good. And he ended up, he got up, he went to school on time. <laughs> That's what we say. Just some things to think about as we're reciting these prayers, right? May the evil inclination not have mastery over us. We afterwards say, keep us far away from an evil person and an evil companion. Asking God to, or, you know, realizing that a big contributor to our um, mindset is our environment around us. I saw a line somewhere where somebody said, the best I forgot what about, oh, the, the way to surround yourself with good people is to see the good in every person. <laughs> um, we say over here, God distance us from bad people. So one of two things have to happen. If there's bad people and we're being influenced by them, we either need to leave or they have to become good people. And that's our responsibility. One of the two, <laughs> but there ain't no other, uh, there ain't no other option. Okay. We're going to stop there and we'll continue the rest of the prayer next week but for now that's my story and i'm sticking to it